Good evening. It's a real happy thing to stand up here and see all these faces, especially all you boys and girls, all you young people back there. Welcome. We're happy that you're here. Uh, my name is Bernie. I'm from Fremont, Michigan. And uh, I think I know most of you. If I don't, I'd like to know you. So I'd like to take up, with the Lord's help, a subject that I have never spoken on before. And uh, it's always been a bit of an enigma to me, this story. Any of you kids know what an enigma is? I'll just tell you, it's a mystery, kind of puzzling sometimes. Uh, maybe um, a little bit difficult to understand sometimes. Why did that happen? And then something else happened, you're like, what is going on? And that is, I'd like to have some lessons from the life of Samson. So, before I open to Judges, I would like to read one verse from Hebrews 11, verse 32. And it says, For what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets. Now, kids, uh, Hebrews 11 is a list of people that God gives us in his word that are noted for faith. And uh, we might call it the honor roll of faith. Uh, maybe uh, if Jake was announcing uh, this, he might call it the hall of fame of faith. Uh, but anyway, here Samson is in this list of people that God counted as faithful. And so I'd like to take up his life and there's a lot that happens in his life and we don't have a lot of time so I'm not going to read three or four chapters to you, but we'll refer to different events in Samson's life uh, with the goal of drawing some profit out for each one of us. And so I guess the first thing I'll say is Samson was the last of the judges that are listed in the book of Judges. And the character of the times that he was living in it says in the last verse of Judges, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And you can well imagine that that day was pretty similar to this day that we're in, at least on a spiritual basis. Obviously, we have cars and trucks and, and that he didn't have, but morally and spiritually speaking, it was not a good time. There was just, I think this, and I'm doing that, and no, no, I'm this. that's a terrible idea. I'm going to do my own thing over here. And there's a lot of problems. And uh, Samson was uh, brought into this world and given a real mission by God. And we're going to talk about that. So let's turn to Judges 13. And we'll take up the story at his birth. Judges 13, verse 1. The children of Israel did evil again 
in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. Kids, that means she couldn't have children. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, beware, I pray thee, drink not wine nor strong drink, or eat anything unclean. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, and the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Maybe a word or two about what the Philistines speak of in the Word of God. The Philistines were descendants from Noah. Uh, had uh, One of his sons' name was Ham, which is an interesting name. I thought they should have named him Bacon or something, but <laughs> Ham. They, uh, we find in Genesis chapter 10 that the Philistines descended from that family. And uh, I don't know if I could dogmatically say this, so I'll be careful, but they're also mentioned in their origins in Amos uh, on an island or a place that when I looked it up in the maps that I had, it was Crete. But I can't really say if they came from Crete or not. But anyway, the Philistines, if you can picture the geography or look in, the, in your map in the back of your Bible, uh, right along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea toward the south, kind of between uh, north of Egypt and south of uh, where the land of Israel is, there's a plain, a flat valley, and that is called the Plain of Philistia. And that's where these folks lived. And they were in that land... And they were a constant source of problems all the way from Abraham and Isaac's day right on through the story of the Old Testament. And they're characterized by striving to uh, deprive God's people of refreshment, of nourishment, of water. So think about uh, Isaac. It says that he had to redig the wells that his father Abraham had dug because the Philistines had filled him in with dirt. So here he is digging these wells again. And uh, he dug some new wells, and the Philistines were fighting them about that. And it's interesting, we're not going to get into wells tonight, although it is a really instructive study. Uh, some of the wells that he dug were called quarreling, and another one was called... Uh, uh, bickering or something like that. But anyway, here they're filling in all these wells. But I would just say this to you young people. Isaac was digging those wells because he knew that his father had found water there. And so it's important for you to be willing to dig in places where you know from experience in your own family or your relatives, this is a good place and there's water here. Now, it's also important spiritually that you dig your own wells. And so, if you will, the enemy of your soul 
wants to fill in all those wells that uh, loved ones that went before us and they found refreshment and they found uh, encouragement. And as you come of age, some of you kids here, as you start to get older and uh, you start to understand more, it's good for you to dig into the Word of God and dig your own wells and bring this water up. Uh, Another thing that I would say about the Philistines is they were between Egypt and the land of Canaan, right there on the Mediterranean coast. And God had, they were there in that place. And God had promised that land to Abraham and his descendants. And here these people were in that land, but they had not passed through the Red Sea to come out of Egypt. They hadn't crossed the River Jordan. And so they were kind of there as a, uh, uh, really just a, uh, representing the power of the enemy to cause problems for God's people. And so Samson's mission in his life was God was going to use him, Joy, to begin to deliver his people from the Philistines. Now, how many of you guys can think of a very famous Philistine? What, how about it? It's Molly, right? Molly? No. no. Oh, man. What's her name, Leah? Annie. Oh, I won't have to ask you again, though, Annie. I got it. Goliath was uh, probably the most famous Philistine, right? And King David killed him. All right. Now, let's find out a little bit about uh, Samuel's, or, uh, Samson's family. It says he came from the uh, a tribe of Dan, the family of the Danites. And... Uh, if you look through uh, Joshua and Judges, you find out that the tribe of Dan did not take their possession. And it says uh, early on in Judges that the uh, Amorites drove them out of their property and they had to live in the mountains and they were not able to take the possession that God had given them. There was failure in that tribe. And then we find that Manoah's wife was unable to have children. And that's a sad picture, if you will, of just general weakness and problems. And yet out of that, God could have chose a famous tribe, you know, like Judah, or, uh, you know, uh, one of those other tribes that had gone in in strength, but he didn't. He chose the, the tribe of Dan. And so... She, the angel of the Lord says to this woman, you're going to have a baby, and this is a special child. God is going to use him in his life to bring deliverance to God's people, and he's going to be a Nazarite from his youth up. Now, a Nazarite, kids, was a very special um, vow that a person could take, and it, uh, it's found in Numbers chapter 6, I believe. And you could read the whole chapter, but we're not going to. I just want to make a couple of things about what a Nazarite was. Numbers 6.1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. You guys get that? This person, Samson, 
was to be separated to the Lord for his whole life. That was announced before he was even conceived. That's the, that's the goal. Separated to the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. Shall drink no vinegar of wine, nor vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he eat any liquor of grapes. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read this whole thing. Uh, I hope that's not disrespectful, but I talk too much. There were three things that a Nazarite had to do. They were separated to God, and they weren't allowed to have any strong drink. And wine in the Word of God speaks about joy, just like you, right? I love how you smile, Joy. So wine speaks of joy, and Samson was not allowed to drink wine, according to this vow. And I think the reason is that all of his joy was to come from the Lord. You know, uh, uh, another earlier in Judges, it talks about uh, the uh, uh, vineyard, a, a plant growing grapes. He said, should I leave my wine that shears God and man to be king over the trees, I think it was? can't quite remember what the story was. But anyway, wine speaks of joy. And the Nazarite, separated to God, supposed to get all your joy from the Lord. The next thing, not allowed to touch anything dead. And that tells me of no defilement. And young people, we're living in a world where defilement is rampant all around us. And to have this before your soul, to be separated to the Lord, to say, Lord, I belong to you, and then not to be defiled. The last thing is, he wasn't allowed to have a haircut. And uh, my wife would tell you that there's a rule, I have a rule, that if you can grab your hair between your finger and the palm of your hand, it's too long. <laughs> and she goes, already? I'm like, yeah, can you cut my hair again? Samson was never allowed to have a haircut. What does that tell us? It tells me that he would be very visibly recognizable. Think about a, a 40 or 50-year-old guy like me that never got a haircut ever. Leah, you think he would be like really bushy? and He would be. And it speaks to me about visible reproach. You know, it speaks in... Corinthians about long hair being a reproach for a man. And so those are the three things I want us to think about. Separated to God, joy from the Lord, no defilement, and to be willing to take that reproach upon himself. All right, now, we're going to skip all of his childhood. So let's turn now to chapter 13. Verse 24, I guess we're not going to skip all of this childhood. The woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of God began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Estol. Now, I like geography, I like maps. If you look at a map, these two towns are only about two miles apart. So Samson was operating in a pretty small circle. 
And the Lord, as he grew up, kids, the Lord began to move him and to use him and to give him thoughts about things that he should do. And it says the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of God was, was beginning to move him. All right, now, the first thing he does, we'll go into this in chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. This is in a time when they had arranged marriages. And Samson went down here to Timnath. Now, just to tell you a bit about what that's about, Timnath was a place, it's a valley, an agricultural valley, and it was noted for grape growing. Now, wait a minute, Samson. You're a Nazarite. What are you doing in Timnath? And why are you trying to find a wife there? That was a bad move. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said unto his father, Get her for me. She pleaseth me well. But his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Well, here's what I take from that. The mission that the Lord gave Samson was to deliver his people from the Philistines. There's nothing wrong with the mission. Um, The problem was he was seeking this marriage union that was not according to the Lord's mind. And he was attempting to create this uh, union where there, could, there should not be one. He had the right intention, but he had the wrong method. You know, you, he could have just went down there and just started knocking heads together. But he went down there and he saw this girl and he told his folks, get her. That's the one. Go line it up. Let's plan the party. We're going. Now, I want to say this to you, moms and dads. Samson's parents knew that was not good. And they spoke to him about it. And I want to encourage you, parents, if your young people and your children are starting down a wrong path, please pour the love of God into them but be faithful to what the Word of God says. A wrong move that's against the Word of God is wrong. Samson made a big mistake by going down there. He shouldn't have been down in Timnath. He shouldn't have been down in those vineyards. He shouldn't have been courting a Philistine woman. But he was. And his parents tried to talk him out of it. Now, you young people, be as frank with you as I can. Don't ignore the counsel of people you love when you're making big decisions, especially if you think they might be wrong. This is serious. 
Samson told his dad, I don't care what you think. She's the one. Go get her. Make it happen. I wish he wouldn't have done that, but he did it. So I'm not trying to jam you young people up, but I'm telling you, in love for your life, if there are people that are giving you advice and counsel about relationships, or if you are currently right now outside of the bounds of the Word of God, contemplating an unequal yoke, don't do it. You will live to regret it. And I tell you that with every ounce of sincerity that I have. All right, we got to keep moving. I guess one more thing about, uh, about this from Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, if I was a really mean dad, I'd have my family stand up and we sing this verse to you. Uh, but we're not going to do it, Allison. Proverbs 6.20, My son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. When thou goest, it shall keep thee. When thou sleepest, it shall... Uh, I better look it up. It's a good thing we're not singing today, girls. Uh, Proverbs 6.20. My son, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually on thy heart. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. That's what I got wrong. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Very important. Moms and dads, do that. You kids, listen to what your loved ones are telling you. But more than that, listen to what the Word of God is telling you. You'll be happy. There's happiness in obedience. Uh, I was reminding Mrs. Tony on Sunday or Monday that I was afraid of her dad. When I was a kid, Mr. Barry was pretty austere. Remember that, Tim? And he would get you up against the wall and he'd be like, man, what's the key to happiness? Like, ah, money? <laughs> no, it's not money. I'll be back later. And <laughs> the key to happiness is obedience. Okay, let's keep moving. So, here they go. They're going to Timnath. Verse 5, Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath, came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samuel well. Well, what about this young lion? I believe that the Lord sent that lion. Uh, this is where I, I get into a bit of an enigma with Samson, because part of me is like, the Lord was stopping him from going to marry this girl. The other part of me is thinking, God sent it, that lion, and he got a great victory over it. And I think the Lord was showing Samson, the mission is right, but what you're doing is wrong, but I'm going to give you a victory. And so here this 
young lion is attacking him, how would you guys like to fight a lion with your bare hands? I don't think I would. And it says he had nothing in his hand, so here comes this lion leaping out of the bushes maybe, and he just had to grab it and just, I don't know how he did it, but he killed it just like he was uh, way smaller, a gentle little animal. And God gave him victory. So what I want to say about this is that the mission of fighting against the enemies uh, or the enemy in spiritual warfare needs downright, flat-out, head-on fighting. Sometimes it takes that. And here's this lion roaring against him, and he took it on, head-on, and the Lord gave him the victory over it. But the unholy alliance he was on his way down there to get, that was wrong. I also think the Lord was teaching him the power of delivering from that kind of an enemy. Okay. We're not going to study a whole lot more about Samson's riddle because we don't have the time. Basically, though, I want to say this about marriage. Uh, here they are down there, and there's, I presume, some kind of a, a party, uh, s- uh, at least a seven-day celebration. And so Samson uh, puts out this riddle. He didn't have any friends there, by the way. He had to go buy some friends, basically. Uh, they're having this feast, and he gives them a riddle. He says, if you can solve my riddle, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes, but if you can't solve it, you've got to give me the same thing back. And over the course of that week, the Philistines were working on that Philistine girl. Hey, 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 hey. Entice him to give up the answer. Get the answer, get the answer. Tell us what it is. And Samson's, nope, nope, not telling you. And he says this, he makes this comment, and I just want to relate this to marriages in this room. He said to, I'm not sure if this is his wife or fiance at this time, but anyway, he says to her, uh, in verse 16, uh, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so I tell it to you. That's a dangerous place for, to be in a marriage. Lack of communication, not good. And here Sam says, ha, 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 I'm not telling you that. You, no, stop pestering me. Men, women, that is not the recipe for happy marriage. And this marriage in a few days, ends in major disaster. Okay. Well, it turns out he gives up the secret. She tells the Philistines about it. He loses the bet, and he has to go give 30 changes of raiment to this young men in that town. So, you know what he did, Leah? He just went to another town, and he killed off 30 people, took their clothes, brought them back, said, here you go. It's pretty violent, isn't it? You know, uh, that's what the Lord's intent was for him in delivering his people from the Philistines. And all this other business of finding a girl down there was wrong. All right, now, as a result of, of that, there's escalating problems between the Philistines and Samson. And I believe that God's mission for Samson was this. And so he's stirring the pot. Uh, I find it really interesting that 
somebody could catch 300 foxes and tie their tails together. I got a pretty good idea that this whole room in here tonight would be hard pressed to put together two foxes by tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but that's what the scripture said. He, um, he, uh, he caught 300 foxes. This is chapter 15, verse 4. And he tied their tails together, set them on fire, and turned them loose across these ready-to-harvest wheat fields. And pretty soon all the wheat's burning and the crops are burning. And as you can imagine, there was a massive escalation of problems. And war breaks out. It says that uh, Samson, uh, I think it says he killed... Uh, Remember how many he killed here. Verse 8, he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and went down and dwelt in the top of the rock, Etham. Well, he, here he is. He wins another victory over the Philistines. And then he retreats back to his home and he's up on this rock called Edom. I'm not sure what that rock means, but I would like to find out. Um... You know what happened, kids? A whole lot of his countrymen, 3,000 of them, came up there and said to him, uh, what are you doing? Don't you know that we're slaves to these people? And now you've burnt down all their crops and you've caused a big massacre in one of their towns? Uh, we're going to turn you over to these folks. And that's what happened. And Samson said to them, all right, I'll go. Just don't, uh, j you guys don't kill me. Just tie me up and give me to them. So that's what they did. You know, that makes me think, young people, about the Lord Jesus. It says he came unto his own. His own received him not. Uh, when it came time for the cross of Calvary, all these people a week before had been lining the streets, coming into Jerusalem and uh, putting their clothes down. And uh, blessed is the Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And uh, they gave him, he was riding on that donkey. A week later, you know what they, they, were, they were hollering? We don't want this guy. Let him be crucified. Kill him. And that's what happened to the Lord Jesus. And so this part of Samson's life makes me think of that. Well, they tied him up with these ropes and uh, he breaks them off like they're not even there. Samson had big muscles, but he had weak morals. Um, so he breaks those things off and he picked up the jawbone of a donkey. I have a jawbone of a Holstein cow in my garage. And I meant to go get it today to show it to you kids because I've wondered what a jawbone of a donkey would look like. And I think a Holstein cow is pretty close. It's bigger than your jaw, Paul. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, here he has this it's, it's kind of a boomerang-shaped thing about this long. And uh, in verse 15, he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. Now, in verse 16, he takes the credit. 
Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, I have slain a thousand men. Well, that was a, uh, he shouldn't have said that. And he pretty quickly realized it. Because uh, in verse 18, uh, it says he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, thou hast given this great victory in the hand of thy servant. That was a way better answer. You know, anything, young people, that you do for the Lord, give him the credit. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him, and it's about what he's given you to do. And it's easy to want to take the credit, and it's not right. And so here Samson is giving the Lord the credit. Um, And I would just, let's read about one more thing about this uh, jawbone, and then I'll make a comment. So a thousand people die, and Samson is very, very thirsty. It says he was sore thirst, verse 19, but God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Now, that tells me that... Doing a great service does not satisfy the soul. Only the Lord can satisfy the soul. You know, there's a lot of emphasis in this world about serving and uh, giving back and all that, and I don't find fault with that except to say this, brethren, it doesn't satisfy. It must be for the Lord. And then the Lord alone can uh, supply a thirsty soul. You know, I think about how many places you could go right now in this county alone to try to find satisfaction on a Thursday night and not find it. The Lord satisfies the thirsty soul. I like the gospel hymn that says, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. E'en as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Young people, find your joy, your refreshment from the Lord Jesus. That is the only true source. Think of the woman at the well, right? She's out there and the, and the Lord's talking to her about the living water and she's like, well, great. Uh, I'll take some of that so I don't have to lug this pot out here. He wasn't talking about physical water. He's speaking about the soul, that living water. I like what he said to her. If thou knewest who it was to talk to thee, I would say to him, give me to drink and I'd give you living water. What a beautiful thing. Go to the Lord Jesus for that living water. All right. Now we have a retrograde step. I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes on chapter 16. And we don't have time to read this, so I'm just going to walk you through it. The first three verses, well, I guess uh, the last of chapter 15 uh, Samson judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So I take from that 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 Timnath 
uh, and the foxes and the jawbone was the launching of Samson's uh, ministry, if you will. And 20 years go by, and he's judging Israel. And I think that he traveled a pretty small circle, according to what we read before. And now at the end of 20 years, there's a retrograde step. I mentioned a minute ago, Samson had strong muscles and weak morals. This is a big mistake. Samson went to Gaza, saw there a harlot, that's a prostitute, a woman selling her body for money. And he hired her, he bought her service. Big mistake. And then the word got out in that town, hey, hey, Samson is in that house right there. And they're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you get over there, you get over there, you get over there. And as soon as he comes out the door, you grab that dude and we're killing him. So it's kind of scary, isn't it, Joy? Imagine if when you walked out the door, there was eight or nine guys out there who were just ready to... That's what the situation was for Sam. You know what he did? He walked out the door. He took a hold of the whole gate of the city. I'm not tall enough to reach that board up there, but I don't know how big a gate of the city was, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a uh, regular door. He just grabbed it, the bars, the gate, the post, just walked out the city with it. Carried it up to the top of the hill, set it down. Now, God preserved him in this step. It was a bad step to take. God preserved him. Young people, the Lord is gracious. And when we take a step like this, there are consequences. There are. Count on it. I think, though, of the grace of God in this situation that the Lord delivered him from it, but it was a downward course that kept going. Uh, but I, wanna, I want you to think about, uh, remember when Peter was uh, telling the Lord, uh, if, though all men deny you, I'll never do that, never. And then the same night he's like, oh, Jesus, never heard of him. Nope. Don't know him? Nope, nope, you're crazy. Uh, and Peter had a similar step. It was wrong. But yet the Lord delivered him from it. Another one that I think of is the Apostle Paul. Uh, and I hope I'm not pushing this too far. It seems like a retrograde step for him to go to Jerusalem when the Spirit of God was giving him messages that if you do that, it's going to end badly. Now, we know that all things work together for good and the Lord's purposes aren't frustrated. But Paul went. And exactly what the Spirit of God said would happen did happen to him. Anyway, here's Samson in Gaza and he's yielding to these temptations. Morality, young people, matters. It matters. Now... Let's get into the story of Delilah. Um, I find this section of Samson's life to be one of the most pitiful and humiliating falls that I can think of that ever happened to a servant of God. 
It really makes me sad. But it happened. Verse... Um, I guess we'll start with verse 4. It came to pass afterward, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him. See wherein his great strength lieth. Well, enticing really means to, uh, not very good at definitions. It really, enticing means uh, trick him, uh, be nice and kind and loving and, and just get close to him and, and get the information we need. You know, I thought of what it says in Proverbs, my son, if sinners entice thee, which is what the devil wants to do to you every day as a Christian young person, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Consent thou not. Another uh, verse in Proverbs, uh, I better turn to this one to get it right. This is Proverbs 4. And verse 14, Enter not into the path of the wicked, go not in the way of evil men, avoid it, Pass not by it, turn from it, pass away. All right, avoiding something, turning away from it, getting away from it. I'll tell you kids a story that happened to me on Tuesday here at the camp. So uh, I uh, was taking a shower in one of the basement showers, but I'm not going to tell you which one so that you keep using the one you've been using. And uh, I had my glasses off and I can't see that good. And I got in that shower, and it's kind of tight because I'm a fat guy. So I'm standing there like this, and I pulled the curtain across, and what do you think I saw? I saw a great big spider crawling his way up the curtain. And it was about from me to this microphone away. It was big, too. I hate spiders. It's probably that big around. So I avoided that thing. I got a shower. He and I coexisted for about 90 seconds. And I'll tell you what, I didn't come anywhere near that shower curtain. Anyway, I, I don't want to make too much fun. The point is, kids, avoiding something means get away. Don't go anywhere near it. Move on. Get out. Go away. And the enemy of your soul wants to trick you into thinking that everything's fine, everything's good, lull you into uh, complacency, gets you comfortable, and then destroy your life. That's what he wants to do. Destroy your Christian life. Now, Louise, I appreciate your editing the calendar. And... Um, Quite some time ago, you had in your calendar verse this. This is Judges 16, 15. Uh, Delilah kept trying to get Samson to give up the secret, you know. And she said to him, how can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? Now, brethren, I want to ask you this. 
with regards to the love of the Lord Jesus. How can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? I'm not trying to equate the Lord Jesus and Delilah by any stretch. But I want you to think about that question for your own self. Does the Lord Jesus have your heart? Or is it a facade? Is it a a game you're playing, a, a, a play you're acting in that, you know, maybe everybody thinks you're a certain way and, and when no one's looking, you're not. I want you to really ponder that. How can you say you love me when your heart's not with me? This is a rabbit trail. Louise, but thank you for your calendar work. It, there has been many, many times that the verse that's in that is so suited to the day that can only be credited to the Spirit of God providing what's needed that day. So, thank you, Louise. All right, now, Delilah keeps chipping away at Samson. Hey, hey, tell me the secret. How come you're so strong? And, and he keeps getting, first he gave her a completely wild answer. Well, you know, if they tie me up with these green threads that have never been dried, uh, you'll be able to take me. She's like, okay, I think I got it. Yeah, yeah. So here these guys are hiding in the room and tie them up with these little green strings. She's like, hey, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he's like, Then she keeps chipping away. Chip. The secret of his strength was separation to God and that long hair that he had. The secret of his strength was separation to God and that long hair that he had. The secret of his strength was separation to God and that long hair that he had, that symbol that he was a Nazarite. And he starts to get to the hair, right? He's like, well, you know, if they, if they weave my hair into this uh, loom thing, then they'll have me. And say, okay, okay, this is it now. We really got him. Weaving his hair into the loom. Hey, Samson, the Philistines are here. Just like when he (laughs) carried away the gates of the city. I don't know how big a loom is, but I think some of them can be big. He just ran out the door with a loom hanging from his head. But gradually, 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 he was getting to the real story. And finally, she got to him. And he says, all right, this is it. If you cut my hair off, I'll lose my strength. And that was the secret. That was the truth. And Delilah's like, okay, just one more time. I'm pretty sure this is the one. Come back. And I find this so sad. It says she made him sleep on her knees. Young people, are you asleep in your Christian life? I hope not. I hope that you're not right now living as close to the very edge as you possibly can be. Don't do that. Get as far away from the enemy as you possibly can. I always like the story of uh, somebody hiring a, uh, a carriage driver to drive. It's, How close can you drive getting to the edge of this cliff? Pretty close. Next guy, oh, yes. Close. Well, look, the person that got the job was the one that said, I would drive as far away from that cliff as I possibly could get. 
All right, you're hired. I want you young people to think about that and where you're at in your Christian life right now. Don't get so close to the edge that you're just one moment from slipping over. You know, it, it speaks in James about uh, enticement and thoughts become lusts and eventually if it's not dealt with, that root goes down and lust will turn into action. That's what the Word of God teaches. Don't do that. Stay as far away as you possibly can. And here, the secret's out. Delilah has Samson asleep on her lap. I think about what it says in Romans uh, 15, I think it is. Um, Awake. Out of sleep. I think it's also in uh, Ephesians. Awake thou that sleepest. Young people, if you're spiritually asleep, so dangerous of a position to be in. Please, take this time when, when you're surrounded by friends and surrounded by people that care about you and want your good and blessing. Certainly go to the Lord about it and wake up. Wake up. Samson didn't wake up. And they cut his hair off. And this is one of the saddest verses of the Old Testament to me. This is verse 20. She said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord... was departed from him. He didn't even realize it. And he goes, ah, get up and knock a few heads together. It didn't happen. He was just as weak as one of us would be, and they got him. And he didn't even realize, young people, over that, however long that took, that the, the Lord had departed from him. What a tragic, sad loss. And they take him, uh, this verse 21, the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he had to grind in the prison house. Think about what he lost. He lost his secret with God. He lost his separation. He lost his spiritual discernment. His sight was gone. He lost his liberty. And he eventually lost his life. Here is a servant of God with his two eyes gouged out. I don't want to gross you out, but this is real. They probably took some kind of a spoon and just popped his eyes right out. Just either that or they stabbed him in the eye, whatever. He lost his sight. He lost his power. He lost his... Uh, freedom, he lost his liberty, young people. I want, we want so very much for you to have the liberty of Christ and to grow in your Christian lives and to be profitable in your assemblies, in your families. And don't allow this to happen to you where little at a time you're just getting closer and closer to the edge and then, bam! In a moment of time, it's it's done, and there's no going back. I just find that to be so sad, and I don't want that for you guys. Now, 
I do like the rest of the story. Before I read the next verse, <clears throat> I mentioned Peter before and uh, how he was sitting at a fire. I spoke to some of the European young people about this uh, this winter, about different fires that you could be at. And Peter was at this fire in Pilate's Hall, and uh, he's denied the Lord. And it says, the rooster crowed, and it says, the Lord turned and looked on him. I wondered what that look was like. And Peter, he sees the Lord just looking at him. And he says he went out and he wept bitterly. That fire, he shouldn't have been at it. <clears throat> Samson had no business being here. But after the Lord arose, uh, Peter said to six other of the disciples, hey, the Lord's gone, I'm going back fishing. And they're like, all right, we're in, we're going too. So they're out there. At least four of them were commercial fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And you know how many fish they caught? None. Not one. And the morning comes, and there's a man over there on the shore, and it's kind of dusky, and you couldn't really say who it was. And the voice comes across the water, um, children, have you been successful? Have you any meat? How's it going without me? And the answer was, not very good. And the Lord says, cast the net on the other side. And in the meantime, John is whispering to Peter, hey, uh, that's the Lord. And Peter's like, what What'd you say? Yeah, that's the Lord. And he goes, get out of the way. <laughs> and he takes off his, in Newfoundland, they call it the oil skins. I don't know what the Galilean fishermen call it. In the water he goes, he's swimming to the Lord. And there on the shore is this fire with fish and bread. And the Lord says, come and dine. Really? Peter just denied you a couple days ago. Swore, cursing, uh, oaths and cursing that he didn't know you. And yet the Lord's like, Peter, come and dine. You're not going to be successful without me. You're not going to get anywhere in your life without me. And then at the end of that little fire there on the shore of Galilee, the Lord asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do, Lord. And then the Lord gave him a beautiful restoration. Now, I told you all that to say this. Young people, really all of you, brethren, this is not the end of the story. It says in verse 22, how be it the hair of his head began to grow after he was shaven. And the Lord had one more job for Samson. Now, you young people, maybe you think right now, I have blown it so badly, there's zero that I can do to be of use to God, so I'm just going to go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The problem with that philosophy is we don't die tomorrow. We eat, we drink, and then we're hungover or whatever else. That is not God's plan for your life. Samson's hair began to grow again, and at the end of his life, they're having this big party to celebrate how they're afflicting their enemy, and some little boy 
let's say your size, Joey, was walking Samson along, and he says, uh, could you help me find the pillars, like these upright posts that are holding the building up? And the little boy took him over there, and he prays to the Lord. He says, oh, Lord God, this is verse 28. Remember me, I pray thee. Strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. And the Lord answered that prayer. Samson took those pillars, and he just, I don't know if he was pushing or pulling, but he pulled down, tore down the whole building, and it says the number of enemy that were killed at that time was more than all the rest of his life put together. And so young people, I just, we're going to close with this. Don't think that if you're in the prison house grinding with your eyes put out, that your usefulness for God is over. It's not. Don't stay there. God wants your blessing and your uh, good. So, but I'll tell you this, it's a lot easier not to take the route that Samson took. We're out of time. I want you young people to know we love you. I know there's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of headwinds. There's a lot of enticement. There's a lot of messaging uh, being thrown at you. Love the Lord Jesus. Get into his word. I I repeat myself too much. I'm just going to tell you, don't do what Samson did. Do what the Lord wants you to do. Love him, follow him, serve him. You won't regret it.